1: for a holiday edition of the Glory UJ Mailbag is my longtime co-host Curtis. And as is always the case, you guys did not let us down. In fact, we got far more questions than we thought we would for this holiday edition of the Mailbag. You guys might be busy with your families this holiday season, but clearly the Georgia Bulldogs are still very much on the forefront of your minds. because we got a ton of questions. So I'm saying that to say, We are definitely not going to have time to be able to get to every single question that was sent in today, and I sincerely apologize for that. Today, we're going to focus on the team questions that we're sending in. We're going to try our best to get to as many of the team-specific questions that we can, because I know like the Orange Bowl is about a week and a half away, guys. It's just over a week away and all eyes are heading towards the Orange Bowl, so we want to make sure we cover all the team stuff. We also get a lot of recruiting questions that came in, obviously with signing day just being last week, but we're going to hold those. I'm going to try my best. I can't make any promises here. I'm going to try to get back on here sometime later this week before the holidays, maybe early next week after, after the holidays and do like a a recruiting specific mailbag episode that hasn't been in our plans. That's not on our agenda, on our calendar here. We have it all planned out, but I'm going to try to sneak one in there for you guys. And we got a bunch of recruiting questions, but we've got so many of them. We're going to try to break it up and focus on the team stuff today. And hopefully I'll be able to to sneak away sometime over the next couple of days and do a a recruiting mailbag episode as well, because I know there's a lot of interest coming out of the uh, the early signing period, but we still have time to answer those questions. Even if I can't get to them this week, we have the next couple months heading into the the late signing period that we'll definitely be able to touch on those as well. So just to put that out there, guys, if we don't get to your question, I am very very sorry. I promise you, we're not trying to play favorites. We're just trying to get to as many of them as we possibly can, and we're gonna do the team centric stuff today. But first, I do remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. You have a few days. The time is running out, but you've got a few days. To head over to alumnihall.com or head go in store inside the Epspray Shopping Center here in the Classic City and do your last-minute Christmas shopping for all the Georgia fans in your life. They got every brand that you could possibly imagine. I know everybody's got their own preferences. Some people like Nike, some people like Nike Golf, some people like Cutter and Buck, Peter Millar, Johnny O, whatever it is, Columbia, people have a different preferences, and that's cool. But the cool thing is. Alumni Hall has it all. They have everything that you possibly want. Whoever it is, whatever their their preferences are, whatever their quirks are, they've got whatever it is that you need. So make sure to check in today, alumnihall.com, and do your last minute Christmas shopping. And our other good friends at the Normal Town College also have some openings available for the 2022 football season. So now is the time, guys! I'm telling you, if you know the schedule, which we do, we know the schedule for 2022. You want to go ahead and book your stay today. Don't wait till the last second. I'm telling you, they will book up. And as an Athens guy myself, an Athens local here, Normal Town is the place to be in Athens. It's just facts. It's the way it is. I've lived Normal Town for many years myself, so maybe I'm biased. Whatever, but. For my money, it's the best part of Athens. You've got awesome, very cool, unique bars and restaurants. Just a short walk away, downtown's just down the road. Beautiful tree-lined streets, free parking on those tree-lined streets, and the normal town cottage itself just can't be beat. There's no hotel can even touch it. It gives you all the comforts of home in a way the hotel never ever could dream of doing. It's safe. It's comfortable. It's convenient. You have an awesome host that's there to help you. Anytime you need it. So take my word for it, guys. Book your next day in Athens at the Normal Town Cottage today. You can check them out on Instagram. Just check, just type in Normal Town Cottage. You can find them on Airbnb. You can click the link that's pinned to our Twitter profile. And do yourself a favor and book your next day in Athens at the Normal Town Cottage. But all right, Curtis, we've got a lot of great questions to get to today, and we want to give as many of them as we can. They're just due. So let's go ahead, let's dive right in here, man. And with the Orange Bowl now just a little over a week away, don't look now, guys, just down the road, we're going to kick things off right there. And, Curtis, we got a big-picture question here. We always like to start these mailbag episodes off with these big-picture ideas, these big-picture questions, and Drew is helping us out today. Drew asks, can you give us an idea of how Georgia matches up with Michigan compared to how we matched up with Alabama a couple of weeks ago? So, Curtis, do you like this matchup better? If so, why?
0: Um yeah, I'm gonna start right there and I do like this matchup better. Um, and the number one reason is just because of their offensive identity. Um Alabama was is one of those rare teams that can stretch you um vertically, and that's just not Michigan's game. Now Michigan can't hit you in the play action pass, but their receivers aren't to the Alabama level um, to to the type that can really stress our defensive backfield, which right now is our biggest liability of the entire defense. I mean, I know they're not terrible, but of the defense as a whole, that's the biggest liability. And because, and more importantly, their strength is our strength. Um, It's going to be, you know, strength against strength, especially against their offense, because the fact of the matter is their um, biggest thing is running the ball. And that's where our biggest strength is, is stopping the run and trying to force you to throw the ball to beat us. Um, so that right there, especially, I think that's the biggest difference between what we saw against Alabama and what we'll see against Michigan.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with you here, man. This is certainly a better matchup for us. Now, I, I do want to pause here and make sure everyone out there is hearing me. Just because we're saying it's a better matchup for us does not mean that we are not capable of losing this football game. All right, Michigan is very, very good. They are a very good football team. They deserve to be here. This is not like – like, Curtis, you know, Notre Dame the past couple years, maybe not so much last year they did beat Clemson the regular season, but let's go back to Notre Dame the first time they got in a couple of years ago. Like, that Notre Dame team, I didn't think they deserved to be in. I didn't think they were one of the four best teams in the country. But they got in, and, and we knew when they got in, they had no chance of winning, right? Yeah. They were going to lose. Michigan, I don't know about you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you, do you feel the same way about, about Michigan, or do you think this is a team – that's a a, a notch above maybe that kind of Notre Dame team that actually has a chance to win once they get in here.
0: Oh, I think they definitely do. And I think that's because their defense is a strength for them. Um, And that's why I would say they're not They're The plays before, or, you know, the Notre Dame's of the past and things like that, they are completely outmatched and that's not the case with Michigan.
1: Yeah, some of those Oklahoma teams, not the Oklahoma team that we played, but some of some of those years Oklahoma got in, you're like, yeah, okay, they got in and won the Big 12, but they're not going to win anything. You can say that about Notre Dame. And with, with Michigan, I don't feel that way. Michigan is absolutely capable, not just of beating us. I think Michigan is capable of winning this whole thing if a couple bounces go their way. Do I think they're the best team in the country? No, I do not. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the whole thing. That's, that's not how it always works out. It's not always the best team that wins. We would like to think it is, but that's not always how it works out. Things you know, there's matchups and there's turnovers, there's mistakes here and there, and things happen. But this Michigan team is very good. However, I do think that we match up far better with Michigan than we do with Alabama. And Curtis, that should not be news to our listeners. You and I have been talking about this for a while. I was talking all during the season when we get these questions, looking forward to college playoff, like which is the one team that you don't want to play. My answer is always Ohio State. I don't want to play Ohio State not because I think Ohio State is one of the best, was the best team in the country. I still think they're probably one of the. Five to six best teams in the country, even with that defense. But that matchup was tough for us. The way they were able to challenge you vertically through the air. And this that's the same way I felt about Bama. That's why I told you guys going into the SEC championship game, Alabama would be the toughest game that we would play all season long because the matchup was just tougher. It did not suit us. Kurt, everything you said was ex- was exactly right. Our secondary, it might, you know, relative to the rest of the country, I don't know if it's fair to call it a weakness, but you know, relative to who we are, it is probably the weakness of our entire team. It is if there's a liability in our team, that is it. And Alabama was equipped to exploit that. Ohio State, I always, I've always felt like was a, would be equipped to to exploit that. Michigan. I don't feel the same way. And I'm not saying they can't hurt us the year. They can. They have some good players out there. You mentioned play action cards. That's really what they do. They build this entire game, their game plan offensively around establishing the run. They're 60 plus percent run in the run pass splits. And they want to hit some vertical shots off that play action. Very, very similar to us. So one of the things I've talked about earlier this week, there's a lot of similarities between this Michigan team and this Georgia football team. And you. I love what you said there, Curtis. It's strength versus strength. Michigan's running a game, although they can hit some things on play action, versus our rush defense. And here's the thing. I just think we are better. We're more talented. Now, we'll kind of flesh that out as we get through the episode here. We've got a couple of questions that kind of lead us in that direction. We'll talk more about this next week, the preview episode. But yeah, I think it's going to be strength versus strength. And there's a lot of similarities here. I just happen to think we are the better, more talented team. And always mean you're going to win. The more talented team does not always win. But I like the matchup going into this Orange Bowl game against Michigan. I really do. And we'll talk more about that later on this episode and heading into next week as well. All right, Curtis, another question here about this matchup with Michigan. This is from Darren. I, I, I'm, I, I totally get where Darren's coming from here, Curtis. Darren says, I've been scrolling through Twitter, and all I've seen is Georgia-Bama questions. It's talking about the rematch. It feels like a huge majority of the fan base in the media doesn't even bring up Michigan. Please tell me the team is laser-focused on Michigan. We can't allow Bama to beat us twice. Curtis, I, I, I'll just ask you here, man. Like, Do you get this, the same vibe that Darren's getting, that there's more attention on a potential rematch with Bama than there is on Michigan right now? I mean, I think in the media,
0: yes. But I don't think inside butts smear, And the reason I definitely think that is because the defense was so embarrassed um, that last game, that they're just really hungry to get out there and you know prove everyone wrong because you heard the overrated chance and things like that. So I think maybe some of the outside noise, but especially with students going home for finals and where it's really just a football team in Athens right now, I don't think there's much of um, overlooking.
1: Yeah, look, I, I am not inside butt smear. I, I couldn't tell you like directly firsthand knowledge. I don't know that. But I can tell you from people that I do know that are closer to the program than I am, this team is locked in. They are locked in, uh, as Darren says, laser focused on Michigan, and that's really what matters. Like, I, I guess what the fans say and do matters, to like some degree, because it can like build toxicity in the fan base, the negativity can, I guess, can seep into the team in some way, shape, or form. I think that's possible, but really, what it comes down to, what matters, is where is this team's collective head right now? And what I've been told, again, I don't have like firsthand knowledge here. What I've been told is that this team is locked in, especially defensively. We are eager to get back at it. Um, and hopefully that is the case. I want to believe that and I do believe that's probably the case. I think you're right, Curtis. The 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 Georgia Bama rematch, potential rematch thing, that is more of a media thing. Um now certainly there are people in the Georgia fan base that are 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 pumping that, especially that you, you you have the vocal. I don't I, I would say it's a minority, Curtis, right? Like a vocal minority on social media that's always you know pumping up like this potential rematch and what could happen there. And I think that's probably true. The media, I mean, the storyline is just better. The potential Georgia-Bama rematch is a sexier storyline for the media to push than like Georgia versus Michigan, which I think is a sexy matchup in its own. I mean, it's two big time programs. But I I do think maybe in the wider sense, there's more focus there. But when it comes down to it, the team is what matters. And everything I've been told is that the team is, uh, is, as Darren said, laser focused on, the Orange Bowl, and the Mission Wolverines right now. And I certainly hope that's the case. I guess we'll find out, man. we got about a week or so. I guess we'll find out here pretty quickly. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Um, you guys know where this is heading, right? As has become a ritual on the glory UGA mailbag episodes this season. Next up, we have our obligatory quarterback questions. There cannot be a mailbag episode this season without our quarterback questions. We've got a couple for you here today. And the first, this is a really good one. It's a well thought out question, by Alexander. I, I really appreciate the thoughts here. It put a lot of time and, and thought into this one. And uh, Alexander asks, according to the recruiting rankings, Bama and Ohio State are the two programs that are consistently recruiting at something close to our level over the last three to four cycles. Both of those programs have produced three consecutive quarterbacks that were Heisman Trophy finalists, while Georgia, as we all know, Curtis, has produced zero. What is it that those programs are doing at that position, at quarterback, that we are not? Is it as simple as they are hitting and we are missing at quarterback? Is it that they have better skill position talent? Is it offensive philosophy? Bad luck? What is it, Curtis? I really like this question. I think it's a really important question. What is your take on that? Because he's exactly right. Think about Alabama. Think about Ohio State. Go back to Dwayne Haskins. They each have had three consecutive quarterbacks that were Heisman Trophy finalists. They didn't all win it, but they were Heisman Trophy finalists. We have not had a quarterback that's even sniffed the Heisman Trophy
0: ceremony in New York
1: City. What is it with our quarterback situation that? that has us in this spot right now?
0: Well, first, I think it's a mixture of kind of all that he's talking about. Um, So offensive philosophy, I think, is a huge thing because it's a catalyst for everything else. Kirby wants to be safe. He doesn't want to push the ball. He doesn't want to, you know, try to go hurry and do all these things because he wants a defense to rest. His philosophy is to try to, you know, be more balanced and run the ball more. And you look at these other teams, they're willing to throw the ball. If I if I was in, if I was a recruit I'd be like coach I don't tr-, he could t- sell me on oh this is what we're gonna do I don't trust Kirby to change and in the last couple of years have really shown that while these other coaches are changing and running these more open offenses we're not we're stuck in the stone age we can say we're being pro style and balanced well that's not winning or that it is winning but it's not putting up the numbers that are gonna get you in the Heisman look and that's a catalyst because first off the quarterbacks aren't putting up the numbers number two yes we've recruited well but They're not at positions like wide receiver. Um, And that's the huge difference. Both Alabama and Ohio State have great receivers. And it makes sense because they throw the ball. They allow the receivers to put up 1,000 yards and do all these things. We don't. So we don't have the receivers at that level that allow our quarterbacks to put up big numbers. Um, And so I think it's just all of that together, which shows that if you don't have a quarterback that's not going to throw the ball enough, combined with – Let's be honest, we don't have good receivers. Um, they're solid, but I would not put them at good. Um, and they're not good receivers that are gonna put up big yards to get our guys to New York either.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's a great breakdown there, Curtis. I I've thought about this a lot when I was answering this question and I've kind of gone back and forth. I I think I agree with you that it's it's a combination of all the things that he mentioned. Like Hitting on quarterbacks, missing on quarterbacks. You know, like DeJuan Mathis, for example. Think back to that recruiting class, first. we were very, very, very close to getting CJ Stroud. You remember that?
0: Yeah, we but were we very, also very close. We, we also looked at Dylan Gabriel and people like that. Um, yeah. All these guys that even Dylan Gabriel would have been better than DeJuan Mathis.
1: And, and we have hit on some quarterbacks. We've now, well, I guess, well, we've hit on some highly ranked guys. Now, where they I was about to say under Kirby Steve?
0: Smart, quarterback, he's, he's got rated guys. But he's yet to hit on someone that's actually going to change our team.
1: Well, that we that we know of yet. Maybe it's Gunnar Stockton. Maybe it's brought Van de But you know, in his, in,
0: of the last three classes that, you know, the last three quarterback classes they're talking about of sending people to New York, Kirby Smart has missed and gone with maybe, or well, I mean, We
1: we, did, we hit on Justin Fields, but obviously we all know I don't want to get into that whole conversation. We know how that ended up and he ends up at Ohio State. But I do think, you know, there's something to that, maybe that like, we haven't hit the like. We don't know if we've hit that jackpot yet. Like maybe we have one of the guys on the roster now, but we right now we don't know. But we were really close letting CJ Stroud. We ended up not, not getting him. so obviously going to Ohio State. We yeah, but CJ Stroud would have hit, so hit the road too,
0: though. Let's. I, I mean, I wouldn't been shocked if CJ Stroud had hit the road
1: and that's fair that's a very fair question and like you, you mentioned dylan gabriel you're right we recruited dylan gabriel we got very heavily involved with that james coley back in the day made multiple trips out to hawaii to recruit him late in that cycle when we were right there with ucf and he just at the end of the day felt his style fit more with uh, with ucf i think there was a connection there with the coach so it made sense and then like we didn't get him but we made a, a push for a guy like that but you're right Like if those guys come here just like with justin fields are do they end up being the same kind of players that they have been that we know them as right now within our offensive system and then it comes back to this question versus the age-old question is it the chicken or the egg what comes first is the fact that we haven't hit on quarterback and that we're not having guys putting up because you have to hit you have to hit certain numbers certain stats or prerequisites for getting into the Heisman Trophy conversation our quarterbacks simply have not put those up now is it Is it chicken or egg? Is it because our offensive philosophy doesn't allow them to put up those numbers? Or is it because our quarterbacks aren't talented to put up those numbers? Therefore, we have to revert back to this same old, very similar offensive
0: philosophy. That's and, and, And that thing, too, both of those questions, the buck stops at the top guy. And that's been the constant no matter what. And I, I will say this.
1: So I, w- I will push back a slightly here. Well, we think about this,
0: Tyler. Here's call. the thing, though. He wasted a whole year, of Jake Fromm, wanting to go with uh, Jake Fromm's last year for "quote unquote" continuity, and look how that blew up. It's the big guy.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm not arguing there. I'm just talking about like this season because everybody's talking about JT and, and Stetson and like where our offense is right now. And I, I look back to the There's three games that JT started this year. One of them against Vanderbilt, he only played a quarter. I think he threw 10 passes in that quarter, though. But the other two starts against Clemson and South Carolina, we threw the ball 30, 30 or more times in both those games. Once JT went out, our offense, as we've said all year, changed dramatically. Stetson Bennett has only thrown the ball more than 20 times, one time during the regular season. One single time, with nine starts in the regular season, did Stetson throw the ball more than 20 times. We threw the ball more than 30 times. In two of JT's three starts, and in that third start, he only played a quarter of football. He probably would have thrown if he needed to, 30 times and through, I think 10 times if I remember correctly, in that first quarter, nine or 10 times. So pretty clearly, once the quarterback situation changed from a health standpoint with JT, we changed what we were doing offensively. It was a very small sample size, but in this limited sample size we had with JT as a starter earlier in the year, our offense looked very different than what it looks like right now
0: with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. So I all I'm saying there is I think Kirby, but 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 here's but here's my response to that, Tyler. After, after, but here's my response after the UAB game. All of Georgia fan base was you know, mouth watering that Stetson was actually the better passer, and that for our offense to be explosive, we needed Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. So that's my pushback. You know,
1: that's that's and that's that's fans being fans. That's crazy talk. I mean, we know JT is the better passer. So I mean, I, I I'm just saying this year alone, I think Kirby, I think he wants. Realizing See, I mean, I want to believe
0: job. he wants to, but to me, it's been nothing but lip service. Well,
1: I mean, because look, even going has, back to the Jake Fromm days, for, except for JT starts. JT starts have been different. When
0: he started, well, yeah. It but was going different. back to the Jake, going back to the Jake Fromm days, the, Jake Fromm was always better in the shotgun, running a hurry-up offense, allowing him to sling the ball around the field. And yet, we never did that unless it was a two-minute drill. And everyone's like, "Man, JT, or uh, you know, he does so well in the two-minute drill." Well, yeah, that's the offense that fits him best. And yet, we didn't run that the whole game.
1: Yeah, I can't defend what he's done in in previous years. So we stuck with that system, that style of offense, way too long. It's a, it's it's borderline. It is not even borderline. It is. It's indefensible. For those years. I mean, that was wrong. But I, I'm saying this year, I think Kirby has had a realization. I think he realized we need to open up the offense. And we and I think we saw that when JT was healthy in the starter early in the year, when he went out, then we had Stetson Bennett. And Kirby realizes he can't do the things JT does. So we got, let's go back to our old comfort zone and do what we always were doing, because that's what Stetson is. Stetson's another f- version of Jake Fromm, I guess. And now you can. Crit- I would criticize him for saying you stuck with Stetson for as long as you did, because when JT comes back healthy, then you can go back to that offense that you were trying to run at the beginning of the year, but you chose not to do that. That's on Kirby. 100 that's on kirby but i do think he realizes that we need to open it up he just got in a situation early this year where the guy he was trying to do that with got hurt and then we go down the road with stetson we're winning and he doesn't want to make the move and that's a whole different conversation i would criticize him for that i think it's fair to criticize him for that well and i think but and i think, I think not only did it. he
0: i think not only did he screw it this year though by not making that change like you're talking about going back hey when he was healthy i think it In the next couple quarterbacks, I'd be shocked if we ever sent someone to New York because the fact is he's now set us behind in wide receiver recruiting. So it's I don't see anyone going to New York because we're still not getting explosive playmakers on the edge to get us there.
1: Chicken, chicken versus the egg. I, you're exactly right. comes back to like, it. It's a combination of all these things. We don't have the playmakers that wide. I think we have good wide receivers. We do not have elite wide receivers right now.
0: We have a good yeah. – if, dis- all, if, if all these folks that are going to New York, they all have elite receivers. Yes. We don't even have anyone that's sniffing elite right now.
1: Well, I mean, George is the closest to if he's healthy, but George obviously hasn't been around all year, and we don't know what what percentage of George we're seeing right now. But like, we look, we don't like Ohio State. Are you kidding me? Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. You, I mean, we know what Alabama's done for. I mean, what it seems like since Nick Sam has been there, basically since Julio Jones, what they've had a receiver. We have, I guess, we had AJ Green way back in the day. Who have we had since then? I mean, George Pickens in spurts. But even George has never been consistently elite. Like, his production's been good at times, but never been cons- never at that level, those guys that I just mentioned. Well, just but like Nicole, Nicole's well. probably
0: our biggest receiver that's in the league right now. And let's be honest, he's only there because of his speed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I know. And, and Nicole was never like, and I guess you can say, well, Nicole was a victim of our offense and that we didn't open up. Yeah, maybe to a degree. I think that's probably fair. But, you know, Nicole played DB his first year to learn how to play that position at Georgia. And I think we could certainly could have used Nicole more. Um, but you're, you're right there, Curtis. So I don't know, man, I really think it's a, a, a combination of all these things, chicken versus egg. I do think in the past, Kirby has, was way too slow to make the change and realization that we need to be more explosive and open things up more offensively. I think he realizes that now. I think he's had that epiphany. And then he was kind of just weighed down with, with J, when JT got hurt this year and Stetson was the guy. And then he, Well, and that's the thing, the thing Stetson. though, the
0: epiphany, the epiphany came too late because then when it he did wanted to make much. the change, you didn't have what you needed to make that change.
1: Yes, I, I agree. It came too late. And that you're right. That is that is on Kirby. But I mean, I, and I'm looking at just this year, I think he was trying to. I, I really, truly believe that he was trying. But to here's really the thing even if JT's fully
0: healthy, I don't even know if we have the receivers to get him to New York. Here's the thing. Like, you still, oh, to get him New York, still probably not. And that's the thing. Like, even if he's healthy and Kirby was wanting to make the changes we still didn't have the pieces that were going to be needed to get him there. I mean, Brock Bowers can't carry everything on his back.
1: Yeah, we were were banged up receiver, too young a receiver. I mean, you're right. You're right about that. So, I mean, it's just it's a great question, Alexander. I think there's a lot of pieces. I think that bad luck is part of it with injuries. I think that we haven't hit as much on quarterbacks at times as some of these other players have. We, as Curtis is going on here, I agree. We don't have the skill position talent to the level that some of those other teams do. Offensive philosophy is all obviously in there with all of this. It's all of those things. And I and I know he's trying to make those changes, but it's hard because now we're in that situation where we have this, there's this narrative about Georgia in our offense. And elite wide receivers know that they're people recruit against us negatively, guys. That's what happens in recruiting, it, and it's, it's not hard right out. now, it, it is, and, it, and it's really hard. Like, until we get that one, because what happened with Alabama? What changed it for Alabama? They got Julio Jones and they parlayed that into Amari Cooper and all those other guys, right? Down the road, we need to get that one guy. I was hoping George could be that one guy, could have a thousand yard year, and that would open up the floodgates, but obviously got injured. And I don't know, we need we just need somebody, maybe it's AD Mitchell. Because, like, look at what Brock Bowers doing for us at tight end right now and how that's opened up the floodgates for tight end recruiting. We need somebody to step up and do that at receiver soon so that we can point out and say, hey, I know they're recruiting us this negatively, but look, here's evidence that you can get a lot of yards here. One the thing we've got to change, too, Curtis, and I know this kind of getting off the rails here. Can we please stop with the rotation at wide receiver every freaking play? Can we stop with that? You, you're not going to be recruiting league guys if they don't stay on the field.
0: I, I, don't even get me started on that. I mean, look, Jamison Williams, John Becci, all these people don't leave the field. We go back um, to
1: LSU, their national championship year, those receivers literally never came off the field. They, I don't even get me started because I, I'm so
0: Don't get me started. I'm so fed up yeah. on it. I mean, it's yeah, goes.
1: I'm done with it. Jesus Christ, it's gotta stop, man. It's, it goes
0: back to his very first year. Like you knew we were running the ball because he'd bring in a receiver group that was just for run, run blocking.
1: And I was I guess the, the theory is on one level, I guess you could say, well, we we, we we can sell to guys. Hey, you can come here as a freshman. And you'll play. Yeah, yeah, coach. I'll play ten snaps a game. I'll be playing the same ten to fifteen snaps a game when I'm a senior too. It doesn't matter how good I am. You need. To, and, and, and Bottom line is, we need our best players on the field. We need our best players on the field in critical situations. I mean, Curtis. I know it's. I know he, he's a George Bulldog, and I and I and I appreciate everything he's done for us. But when you see Jalen Johnson out there in the field, do you cringe?
0: Because I do. I, I I mean I I really just shake my head.
1: I cringe. I, I just I cringe. I cringe. And that sucks. I mean, I don't mean to kill a kid. I really don't. But like he doesn't need to be out there on the field in the SEC championship game. It just doesn't need to happen. And so the things like that, I think receivers see that, too. They're like, huh. Wow. Hmm. So you're going to have the walk on former walk on guy taking snaps over me, too. Okay. All right. Cool. That hurts. That doesn't help you. That's all I'm saying. Doesn't help you there. But All right. Uh, Let's move on here, Curtis. One more question about quarterbacks. Then we'll move on. Um, I'm an idiot, and I did not write down the name of the person who sent this question in, so I apologize. You'll probably recognize your question. Um, I'm I'm an idiot. I suck here, my bad. But this question is Stetson seems to struggle on converting on third downs in big games. What can he do? How can Todd Munkin scheme better ways to improve Stetson's third down woes? What do you think, Curtis? What's the answer?
0: God only knows. I've tried literally everything. Um uh, to be honest, it's hard to tell because he he's just so bad on third downs. Like pretty much, if it's more than a third and five, I'm like, all right, Jake Kamara, get ready to come in a punt because I have yeah. zero faith.
1: This question's from Ben, by the way. I want to give Ben a shout out here. There you go, it's from Ben. Yeah I, was, yeah, I mean,
0: it's a great question, and realistically, I can't think of anything because I feel like throughout this whole year, Todd Monken has literally tried everything of getting him out of the pocket, running some screens, um, trying to get the ball to the running backs, receivers. It it, it does it just. Is literally just been a continuous failure.
1: Yeah, well, I think the answer here to me, it's pretty simple. We just have to stay out of third and long obvious passing situations. Easier said than done. Everybody wants to do that. But Stetson and I, we've said it many, many times in the show. Our dropback p- pass game is essentially non existent with Stetson. You saw it in the SEC Championship game when we had to come back from behind, like, like we were, and we try to mount that comeback. Yeah, Stetson did some okay things at times you know, in in those situations, made some nice passes, but he also made a a decision that absolutely ruined any chance we possibly had. It was a death blow. And the drop-back pass game is not what Stetson is built to do. We simply cannot put him in situations. And Kirby mentioned this. He basically said it without saying it in the post-game press conference after the SEC title game. It's like, we've got to help Stetson now. We can't put him in those 3rd one situations. It's like, yeah, you're basically saying that your quarterback can't – can't convert in those situations. And he can't say that, but that's what he's saying because he's not built to do that. That's just simply not Stetson's game. And we, t- so what do you do with that? Well, you've got to figure out on first, you got to be really good on first and second down. You have to be really efficient on first and second down to stay out of those third and long situations. Because when you do, you're right, Curtis. When you get third long, the faster the time is Jake McCamara time. Come on out, put the football away, and, and see what happens from there. So I, I think how do you improve his third down woes? You just go back to the drawing board, and you try to be more efficient on first and second down. I think one of the problems that we got into in the Alabama game – was that we got behind and we abandoned the run game. I will say that. And I get it to a degree. Alabama is also really good against the run. And I've said all year that I don't think our offensive line is like an, an, a will-imposing offensive line. I don't think we're that good up front. I don't think we're that physical, that physically dominant. So against a r- really good rush defense like Bama, we kind of just gave up on the run, and therefore we're just throwing the ball almost seemingly every down, and you get in those third-line situations, and therefore your third-down numbers are very, very bad. When we can run the football and we can stay ahead of the chains –
0: our third down numbers are really good. They're up there with almost anyone. But, in the and, and my biggest thing is, you're talking about the running game. If you notice, every t- game that Stetson is—it's hard, harsh to shit. It's harsh to say, but realistically, when he's been bad, has been against every good team we've played, and that's because you can't run the ball consistently against every, every good so you are, team. You are going to get some of these longer third downs.
1: Yep, absolutely, and that is a problem. That is a problem. So that we got to go back to the drawing board, and if we can't run the ball consistently. With this offensive line against those better teams, those really good defense that we're going to have to beat to win the national championship, then we got to figure out a way to work the short passing the intermediate passing game, the quick passing game, RPO game, what quarterback run game. That's kind of why I've been talking about quarterback run game for a while. Whatever it takes to be efficient on first and second down, because we simply we cannot win football games if we're consistently in third and long. Very few teams can. Um, and, that's certainly the case for us. That's just not what Stetson's equipped to do. He's just not able to do that. Stetson can do some good things. Stetson has some strengths that, that we can build off of. We tried to build up all, all year, but third and long true drop back pass game. That ain't it, man. That ain't it. And we're not going to win games if we're consistently in those situations against really good teams as we saw case in point against Alabama a couple weeks ago Uh, all right let's move off the quarterback conversation here I know that's that's a lot of quarterback talk and let's let's talk about the receiver position specifically George Pickens got a couple questions about George here Curtis Uh, our good friend Cliff thanks for the question Cliff asked um, I felt like earlier this year that if George Bands came back at anything close to his former self the dogs would win the whole thing is there merit to how much of a difference he can still make as far as being that key difference maker in the Coshwell playoffs. Kurt, what do you think
0: there? Um, honestly, I want to say yes, but you kind of mentioned it earlier, and it's the fact is he's not going to get enough targets. Even if we wanted to play him enough, I don't believe he'd be out there enough. Um, the way we rotate way too much, and the fact is I don't trust him to going forward to only stick with the guys that can be, make changes. Um, so I just don't know if he would get enough targets or big-time targets to really change games and be that difference maker. I mean, I know he was on a pitch count realistically in the SC Championship game, um but he hits that big play and then he's not targeted again until like a mm-hmm. four, a first down little slant that was never going to do anything.
1: Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you got got a chance to catch Kirby's uh press conference, well, I think it was yesterday afternoon, but he was obviously asked about George and his health and when, and basically what he said was like, yeah, you know, he's getting he's not back where he was. He's he's still coming back from the injury, but You know, it's not just that; it's that he's got. You know, he's got to go back and learn the splits and the checks and all those things. When you haven't done it for as long as he has or hasn't done it, it's hard to get back in the swing of those things. And so, to me, that's just a signal. Is like, well, don't don't get your hopes up, guys. When Kirby says things like that, don't get your hopes up. Um, We'll see. Like as you said, Curtis. Like we just talked about, we rotate so much receiver anyway, and the fact that he's Kirby has Kirby saying he's not 100% healthy and still come, trying to fi- get back in the swing of things offensively just knock that rust off. I was hope I'm I I guess I'm still kind of hopeful that with this month to get rid of the orange Bowl, maybe we'll see more of him. And if, if he's closer to 100% healthy which I think he'll be closer obviously, he can be the difference maker, but I just I don't know where I should put my expectations there. Honestly, we just we've seen it so many times right Curtis that I don't really have expectations right now when it comes to that kind of thing. I just I just don't. I want to be wrong here. I want I hope to God that George comes out there, just sets the world on fire. And it's the George of old. And he goes, I remember the sugar bowl a couple years ago against Baylor Curtis. Oh yeah. I hope we have, I hope he has a performance like that, man. A performance for the ages for us. I just, uh, I would caution you guys. Don't get your hopes up too much. I know that sounds like a Debbie downer here. I don't mean to be that. I really don't. I just, I'm trying to be objective and honest with you. I just, I'm not getting my hopes up there. I mean, it's what six snaps against, against Georgia tech. I know it was his first game back. And then a handful of snaps against Alabama, that one impactful play, and then was almost non-existent from there. I, I would like to think with a, with a month left, logically, maybe he could be more of an impactful player, but I just don't know, man. I, did, I just didn't get much confidence from Kirby's comments in this press conference. I take it from what it is. you know, it's, He's not going to give away the game plan in a press conference, but I don't know. Just how we've handled our receivers this year, there's not a ton of hope for me when it comes to how, how much of an impact Pickens is going to make. We need it because he's the one guy that we have. He's the closest thing that we have to be a difference maker, wide receiver, even if he's not 100% healthy. But I don't know. We'll see how that works out
2: Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
1: But next up, question let's look forward to uh, to, to next year, Curtis. 2022, we had two people that basically the same question, John and CLL115, essentially both asked this. Is it possible that George Pickens signing an NIL deal with Tom Brady this late into the season is an indicator that he comes back in 2022? Kurt, did you read anything into that?
0: I mean, it could, but if I were him, why come back unless we're going to change our offensive scheme? I know it sounds terrible, I'm trashing it, but the fact is, like, if you're wanting to come back for a money year, right now our program is not the the place for that to happen.
1: I, I hate even putting this out there in the universe, but what about the possibility he comes back and it's somewhere other than Georgia?
0: I would not blame the kid. I would be disappointed and hate it for us, but could you blame him? Absolutely not.
1: No, I, I couldn't blame him. Um, I, I, I certainly, and I don't, I have I have not heard that anywhere guys. That's just me throwing something out there, but just asking the question is like, is it indicator that he comes back in 2022? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's what, that's what I thought. That was my initial thought too. Was like, wow, you're, this is really late to begin an NIL deal announcing this just like with a couple weeks left in the season, maybe one more game, hopefully two more games. We'll see. So maybe this means that he's going to carry this over into 2022. Maybe he serves something back in terms of like feedback from the NFL when it comes to like his draft prospects after not playing this year and he's come back and put up a big full year, staying healthy, that kind of thing. But then you start thinking, it's like, well, like with the transfer portal. I mean, Bo Nix, like Mister Auburn football, right? Mister Auburn football, like the the legend, Bo Nix himself, the legacy guy. He's even transferring, so now it's like, I mean, it wouldn't shock me, man. Like nothing shocks me in the transfer portal now. So I, I hope to God that's just me, like making things up. But I don't know, man. I mean, we've seen crazy things like that happen, so. I hope he's back here in Athens next year. I, I know that he, he loves the team. He loves the coaching staff. They love him. Um, and I, I hope it's – you know, he, he sticks around and stays loyal. But like you said, Curtis, I couldn't necessarily blame him if he wanted to go elsewhere. And, and if it's really – because what will coming back mean, Curtis? Coming back means he's trying to improve his draft stock, right? Yeah. Was, is Georgia your best place to do that? Now, you'll, you're probably be in the spotlight next year. You know, I mean, it's you, a different, you know, It's George. a different.
0: It's not like Jordan Davis where it made sense, where defense has always been what we push. Um, yeah. So it made sense for someone like that to come back and try to make more money, but offensively, yeah. until we show that we're going to do it, it's a it's a huge chance you're taking.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's a it's an interesting one to watch for sure. Um, all right, let's move on here. This is uh, from Reggie, another longtime listener. Thank you, Reggie. Appreciate you, man. Reggie asks, do you think Channing Tindall can match or exceed Adam Anderson's production? For this two-game season, the Cosmo playoff, hopefully two-game season. Uh, he says, I actually think he could be a game changer as a primary pass rusher. Kerr, what's your take on Adam Anders or Channing Tindall uh, replacing Adam Anderson in the pla in the playoff?
0: I mean, I could see it. Um, but I just don't I mean, he could, yes, I think, but the biggest thing is that Adam Anderson just had. That first step, where ten is fast. I don't know if his first step is explosive, especially in the fact that he hasn't been playing the outside linebacker position and working on, you know, getting off the edge as much. Right, that's the one thing that's going to miss. Um, but I think that yes, he could I, he could be a difference maker. Um, I just don't know the Adam Anderson level. But the difference is maybe he could keep himself on the field a little bit more consistently in stopping the run and things like that. But I I just don't know if we would do that with him.
1: I mean, I think we're going to try to use him in that role. It's a little bit different. It's not the same Adam Anderson role Chris, because you're exactly right. He's an inside linebacker. He's not an outside linebacker. Yes, over the. You know, the, the bowl practice, we get 15 ball practices. Can he work it outside linebacker or and work on some of those pass rush moves? Sure, but come on. Like, it's not like he's going to be the same kind of pass rusher Adam Anderson was, like in the same vein. Tindle's a very good pass rusher because he's shot out of a cannon. He, I think he does have elite first-step quickness, and he he uses his speed, basically just speed rush. Now, Anderson did that a lot too, but Anderson was also a more polished pass rusher, more true pass rush moves out there on the edge. Channing Tindall hasn't really fully operated like that. And yeah, you can start to learn a little bit in 15 practices, but that doesn't replace like three years of practice. Um, But I do think that we can do some things. I think we can, Use this time, these 15 practices, this month or so, to scheme up ways to utilize Tyndall's skill set, which is a little bit different than Anderson's skill set, to utilize his skill set in a way to make him that primary rusher. I do agree, Reggie. I think he can be a game changer as a primary pass rusher. We've just got to find ways to do it in ways that that fit his skill set and what he's actually good at. And hopefully we've had time to do that, and we'll be able to. And maybe with some some different ideas, the Demons coordinator this this uh, this go around that we'll have some some new tricks up our sleeve that maybe Michigan isn't prepared for. So I, I certainly think he can be a he can be a guy that can do some really big things for some pass rusher. I just think he might be a little bit different than how Adam Anderson went about doing it. Um, all right, Chris, I love this next question. So I'm gonna run to this one here real quick. I was hoping we have time to get to this one. This is from Nick. It's a great question. Nick he asks, "What is one stat that makes you feel good about the game against Michigan?" And what is one stat that makes you the most nervous? So, Curtis, um, is there anything that stands out to you when you're looking at the numbers there?
0: Um, That makes me feel good. I'm going to go. My biggest thing is Michigan's, they're ranked really low in long scrimmage plays um, of 10 plus yard plays. They've only had 173 on the year, which is 68. And we are second in the nation, only giving up 109. Um, So, I think that's the one thing that's in our favor.
1: And it's a really weird split with them, Curtis. You're exactly right. Like when in 10 and 20 plus yard plays, they are not high up there nationally, but very but oddly, they're like number one in the country when it comes to plays of 50 or more yards. It's so weird. Like what that tells me is they're not they're not like consistently explosive, but every now and then they'll hit those like big, giant chunk plays. It's really, really weird. But you're right, Curtis. 10, 20 yard plays, we are as good as anybody in the country in limiting those plays. And Michigan has not been very, very good at all all season hitting those plays. I like that one a lot. Is there anything that makes you nervous
0: statistically? Um, Yeah. So nervous-wise, I'm going to go to their defense, and it is going to be the – um. hold on. I just had it. Oh, something we've already talked about, but Michigan's opponent's third down conversion. We're only about 31st in the nation at about 44%, and they're 13th in the nation only giving up 32% of their third down conversions. And we've already talked about how bad we are on third down. Yeah,
1: it's a big number, especially when we get in those third and long situations. That's a really good number. That, that is especially when you have
0: their, their two rushers on the edge, they're, we're in trouble.
1: It, it, it's certainly concerning, man. So I, I go back to what we were saying earlier. First and second down is critical in every game, but especially a game like this where they have these two elite pass rushers off the edge. We're not good in their long situations. Stetson's not built for that. And, oh, by the way, Curse, I don't know if you saw this. Um, it just kind of came over as I'm uh, recording this episode. JT apparently has COVID.
0: So, yeah, I did see that. So
1: there's that, guys. Breaking news here on the podcast. Sure so don't time expect you're a to change
0: to death. Even if there was no change before, they sure it's not going to be one now. Yeah,
1: yeah, so – I mean, I knew he was he was getting some first team reps more than he had been, but that probably puts the nail in that coffin. So there's that. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a good one there, Curtis. All right, so I've got a couple here. And look, I'm not gonna read out read out all these numbers. Um, if you listen to the, the Scout and the Enemy episode earlier in the week, I laid out like all these numbers offensively defensively, comparing and basically laying out how similar these two teams were. Um, so if you haven't, if you want to hear those, if you're interested in that, go check out that episode from earlier in the week. I don't want to bore people who've already heard that and we got a bunch of crazy numbers. I know it, it gets tiresome at times. But let me just recap basically what what I was able to put together. So there's a lot of similarities between these two teams, especially how we're built offensively, personnel-wise, philosophically, all those things. There's a lot of similarities, but we are just better almost all the way around than Michigan. Like just – we can read off a couple of things. We're more efficient offensively. We score more points. We're slightly more efficient in the run game. We are significantly more efficient and explosive in the pass game. We are more balanced. They're, they're 60% plus run. We're only like 58% close, but we're more balanced. We give up fewer yards defensively. We're more efficient on defense. We give up fewer points on defense. We are 40 yards per game better against the run The Michigan is. We give up half a yard less per pass attempt. We pressure the quarterback better, which I, th- I know might shock people, but statistically we pressure the quarterback better with our sack percentage. We create more negative plays on defense. And here's the thing. We are plus 30 points per game uh, on the year versus our opponents, plus 2,500 yards in our total yards differential. Michigan's only tw- they're not only, they're still really good. They're plus 21.6 points per game against their opponents. They're plus 1,750. And all those numbers coming against a very comparable strength of schedule, uh, S- 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 uh has us at 33 and number 32 respectively in strength of schedule. ESPN has our strength of record number three and Michigan number two. So very comparable schedules in terms of the strength of schedule, strength of record. And we're just pretty much better across the board in most major statistical categories. So there's that. But if I'm t- trying to pinpoint a couple here, my, the, the stat I feel best about is this sat percentage. My impression of Michigan coming into this, getting ready for this Orange Bowl, is that they were hell on wheels getting after the quarterback. I think that's the national perception as well. And don't get me wrong. They are very good. They have two elite pass rushers, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. Those dudes are elite. But basically all their pass rush comes from those two guys. It's not spread around. It's those two dudes. But as good as those guys have been in rushing the passer, we've been better. They're 47th nationally in sack percentage, 7.42%. We are 16th nationally, 9.18%. And we've also been better over the past three games. So it's not a situation where Michigan's getting better and we're getting worse. Over the past three games, our sack percentage has been 7.76. Michigan, 5.51. So to me, like Michigan, you mentioned it, Chris, I agree with you. Their pass rush scares me. But if that's the case, our pass rush should scare them because we had all throughout the season, we have been more consistent and more efficient pressuring the quarterback and sacking the quarterback than Michigan has. So there's that. It makes you feel good because that's supposed to be one thing that they, that they have over us, but statistically, not exactly the case. Now, what I feel worst about is that they're number one in the country and plays of 50 or more yards. You're exactly right, Curtis, what you laid out, 10 plus, 20 plus. They're not consistently explosive, but we saw against Alabama. Alabama wasn't like, you know, early in the game, we forced some punts. In the second half, we forced a couple consecutive, three not three and outs, but punts. But they hit those explosive plays that were just killers for us. We cannot allow that to happen because I think that we are built to stop this Michigan offense with our, with our rush defense. We cannot allow them to hit those big plays off play action. Those 50 plus yard plays that Bama was able to hit against us that really changed that game in the second quarter. We cannot allow that to happen, but Michigan has done a good job of that at times this year. So that's the one that eh, gives me a little bit of pause there. Uh, all right, Curtis, I think we got time for one more question here. This is the last one we got today. And this is from Trey. Trey always has good questions. So we save this one for last um it's an interesting one Curtis. i think about this one trey asks, you get to choose one draft eligible player on this year's team to return next year who would it be and why
0: Ooh, wow um draft eligible player i've got mine you want you want time to think about it i think i know who i'm gonna go with okay guy you throw yours out trevon walker
1: oh okay
0: i like it i like it give me your why uh, more or less, I think he brings the experience on that D line that we're really going to need. Um, outside Jalen Carter, we don't have a ton of experience. I would say Nakobe, but I feel like we have a lot of a ex- lot of talent in the inside linebacker position. But I think if I had to think back, my number two would have been Nolan.
1: Having it's a tough. You no, know, you're making me think. Like Nolan Smith. Like we we we're going to be with, if he goes pro, which I guess we'll see. I mean, I, right now I'm expecting it to happen, but it, we'll see then we are in trouble depth-wise from an experience standpoint. I mean, we're, we're already like
0: in trouble at the depth-wise. Yeah. We've recruited so poorly. Yeah,
1: experience-wise. So experience and depth next year if he goes. That's tough. So that's a, that's a really good one, man, just from a need perspective. And maybe this one's not as much of a need because we do have Jalen Carter coming back. I like what we have on the defensive line. But I'm going to go with Jordan Davis. I'm going to go with the big man in the middle. And the reason I'm going with Jordan is he is the key to everything we do defensively. Why have we been so dominant on defense? It's because we've been so good against the run. We haven't had to roll guys out in the box. We've been able to stay structurally sound in the back end in every game, except for, for Alabama. Uh, obviously, we know that's been the exception. And the, Jordan Davis is the single key. That's why I, I was always pushing in for the Heisman Trophy, not because like statistically he should have been up there, because his position doesn't put up stats. But his impact is so significant on our defense. When he is, We saw it last year. When he's not in the game, when he's hurt, our defense doesn't stop the run nearly as well as we do with him in the game, and that is key to us doing everything we like. We're still even against Alabama after the Alabama game. We're still a top three nationally in pass defense, and the key to that, in my opinion, is a guy that's three hundred fifty pounds. It's not anybody in the defensive backfield. It's Jordan freaking Davis who allows us to keep a two-high safety show almost all the time. And without him, maybe we can't do that. I don't know. So that to me, I would go Jordan Davis. We have him back next year because um, I mean, offensively, we'll see what changes next year. I think we can be really good on offense, but. The defense has obviously, obviously been what's what's been driving this team for, for a couple of years now. But um, all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We really do appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us here. I know it's a, it's a busy time of year with the holidays. So uh, I just want to sit here real quick before we get out of here. And just from Curtis, from myself, from everyone here at the Glory UGA podcast, want to wish all of you listeners out there a very, very happy holiday season. Hope everyone, however it is that you choose to celebrate the holidays, hope you guys have a wonderful time with your family, and let's come back next week all eyes on the Orange Bowl and the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, we'll be back next week with our official preview episode for that. So make sure you're back. Looking forward to that. We'll have you guys completely covered from head to toe for all things Orange Bowl. But thank you guys for listening. Happy holidays to everyone out there. We love you guys. Appreciate everything that you do to support the show. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And
2: as always, Go Dolls!